and welcome to another edition of the Parrot Podcast. Uh, in lieu of our host Hamish for the time being, I will be helping run the show today along with the likes of Ham. Uh, yeah, I've had my two weeks quarantine and I'm back in the NRL bubble. I'm back in the pod bubble. So I'm ready <laughs> to go. back, brother. And Birdie. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Obviously, coming off a loss is never fun, but we'll get into that shortly. How um, How's everyone tracking in general, though? All right? Everyone up to date with their COVID vaccinations? Got mine booked in for next Thursday. Good man. I got my one last week, first one, and I get the second. Good stuff. I'm still waiting for my Pfizer eligibility, but I might end up just going AstraZeneca at this point. Um, I've given up on Pfizer. I'm I'm not a Zoomer. I'm not a Boomer, so I don't qualify for any of the good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Stuck in the middle, eh? All right, let's talk footy, boys. Uh, We'll do our review first, as always, then we'll get into all the other good stuff coming up in round 22. Going back to round 21, though, the Parramatta Reels hosted the South Sydney Rabbitohs at Seabus Super Stadium. It was an important game for the Eels after that two-game slide, and unfortunately, they couldn't come up with the goods, falling to a very good Rabbitohs outfit, 40-12 to for the Eels. Mike Acevo and Wanga Blake got on the scorer sheet, Gufferson adding two from two from the kicking tee. And then for the Rabbitohs, Josh Mansour got a double, Jackson Polo got a double, and Dan Gagai and Cameron Murray also chimed in. Adam Reynolds was perfect off the try conversion tee, but went two from three for penalty goals leading to that 40-point score. Uh, in terms of the team stats, Rabbitohs were ahead in possession, 54 to 46%, had about four minutes extra of time of possession on the back of that 8% possession swing. Uh, both teams completed very effectively, 89% for the Eels, 88% for the Rabbitohs. Uh, the Bunnies were ahead in all key stats, as you'd exec- expect, sorry, given those uh, possession splits, but uh, crucially, nine line breaks to two, 29 tackle breaks to 16, uh, and a better average set distance by a few metres. Uh, Eels had more offloads, but as we've seen in the last few weeks, some of those offloads a little being, have been a little bit errant or wayward and haven't always been productive. Uh, in terms of diffusals, Parramatta were pretty good, 71%, the South Sydney is 50%. Defensively, both teams were very close, which surprises me looking at that. 89.2% effective tackle rate for the Blonde Gold, 89.3% effective tackle rate for the Myrtle and Red, uh, with the Bunnies actually, I'm looking here, uh, it was making less ineffective tackles, but more missed tackles. Um, but I suppose they don't always count the tackles that you don't get to, which might have been the case in some of Parramatta's uh, uh, leaks there. But yeah, that that's the gist of the general stats in terms of the personal player stats. Um, good game for Wonga Blake. He cracked 200 metres, scored a try, uh, was very busy the entire game. Uh, beyond- I think that's a, that's a great game for Wonga Blake. He's sort of been, you know, admonished. Oh yeah, he's, he's he's copped it from uh you know every every corner from the fan base across the last couple of years, but and rightfully so. Yes, there's but, been very warranted criticism. But I think sort of this game, I think it was a game against the Roosters where he was getting that early ball, he was mm-hmm. getting one on one against his opposite, and you know you can meme that he steps back on the inside, but that's what he does. He's still making a lot of meters, so I think that um yeah, good on Wanga for you know. Showing enthusiasm. And which it, I think it's almost in our back line. darkly comic, isn't it, that the team really loses its mojo, but Wonga Blake figures it out. You know, he, yeah. he's been really good for a number of games now. And like you said, in that Roosters game, until he got knocked out of the game on the back of a high shot, which only saw a fine and no sin bin, so the crackdown will and truly dead, um, he was absolutely giving the Roosters a bath. He was like our only consistent player in that period. Uh, and yeah, so he's figuring it out. He's looking really live with the ball in hand. I think the key has been in those games that we've gone to him early and engaged him early. We've given him those opportunities to attack with space and time. It's gotten him switched on, and he's carried that form through for however long he's played in those contests. So a little silver lining to our three-game skid now, but Wanga looking real sharp uh, in terms of other good contributors. 
Uh, Papa Lee was okay um, by his standards. You know, 100 meters off nine runs is a pretty quiet game, but he, he worked hard. Uh, I fought off the bench. Bryce Cartwright was pretty good in limited opportunities, helped contribute to one of the tries we scored, defended very strongly, uh, but only played for under 30 minutes. I think it was 28 minutes, if I recall correctly. 29 minutes, there you go. So individually, and I thought uh, even though he missed five tackles, um, given that his back was probably troubling with pain, I thought Mitchell Moses tall really hard. Uh, he he kicked nicely. He set up a great try for Wonga Blake. Um, and given what he's trying to work through with that injury, um, I don't think you could ask for too much more from him. So opening up the floor, boys, uh, Eels once again losing to the Rabbitohs, which I think makes it five or six in a trot now, um, all of them being 38 plus in recent times. It hurts us in the big picture. It hurts us in the now. What did you see out of this contest? Where did it go wrong? Was there any sort of uptick after the other two losses? I don't know. Um, what were your takeaways? Um, I thought the first half, we didn't do anything wrong, but we weren't doing anything right. So I think Souths were 12 nil or maybe 14 nil up at the break. And I thought, you know, if we keep defending the way we are, you know, we just got to get a bit of bounce of the ball and then just sort of fell apart um, early on in that second half where Souths ran right. Um, so that was that. Um, yeah, that, to me, to, to, there's nothing really positive about this game. Like, you know, you can pick moments. Mitchell Moses um, standing 10 metres away from the ruck instead of 30 metres away from the ruck, catching out lazy A and B defenders like we should be using our halves. And then, you know, that's what our halves do. They're, Mitchell's very quick. To me, Dylan Brown's top five quickest in the game. You know, you you can put, you might be able to dispute that, but to me... When Dill is running at full pace, there's not many quicker. I mean, the, so, the numbers back that up. The Telstra tracker that the NRL.com like to roll out every round, he's been consistently up there at 34-plus kilometres an hour, which is very much upper echelon in the NRL. You know, if I'm – I just think we need to – our game at the moment, because Reed is such a fantastic dummy half, we throw those 20, 30-metre long bullet passes from the from the ruck, and we, just when the first receiver gets the ball, there's no momentum. You want our halves because they're quick and they're light on their feet. You want the momentum. You want to get in that pass five, ten metres from the ruck and really taking on the defensive line. You don't want them getting that 20-metre cutout and going, oh, stop, go. Just go from the start. And I think that, you know, we saw it a little bit in the Roosters game from Dylan later on in the game. He got that, I'm not sure if it was confidence, not sure what it was, but he got closer to the ruck. You know, he didn't score any points, but he looked better than catching those 30-meter car passes, because then you get that long pass, the outside defense goes, oh, we know what Dylan's going to do. He's going to dummy and run, because he has to, because there's just there's no momentum generated from those long passes. Oh, so what else is def- Defensively, teams are eating us up on that, aren't they? If, yeah. if we're not, those long passes are fantastic when you're coming off either a half break or a break or a lightning quick play the ball and the defense is retreating, you're, all, you're downhill and, and you can pick and choose where you want to go. But when the defense is set, which we've seen so often in these contests, they're just eating us up alive. You know, that's when you need to go, all right, we're going to compress a little bit here. You know, even if they're, um, air quotations, one-out runs, you know, you're still going to have players pushing up with the ball. You're going to get more one-on-ones that way. And then from there, that's when you can spread out a little bit and you can play your football. No, fair. Very fair. Bertie, uh, what was your major takeaway from this one, mate? Um. Ah, we we started the first twenty minutes okay, but I feel as though we've got we don't know what to do. Like defensively, we're just out there trying to hang on and you mm-hmm. know, survive. But we offensively, we don't know what we're doing. And um, I don't know. The first try after the break sort of broke 
broke not broke me, but I was like, yeah, this is I'm over. Like I stopped watching after that. There were I know there were a few among um our football group. I mean, I, not me personally, but us altogether that definitely switched off this game. Uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were. And I, I think probably the most frustrating moment that you know in a game where you get forty points posted or forty plus posted on you, it's always frustrating. But the early try that Cody Walker set up, where our right edge just completely went to sleep. They started jogging infield from the short side. Cody Walker just pulls up and says, all right, well, if you're going to all come infield, I'll go back the other way. And Dylan Brown's left for three on one, and they just strolled over for Mansour's second. Um, that that was really symptomatic of a lot of the issues that are happening in this team at the moment, where there are times where we follow the game plan and the effort levels are reasonable, and we're going toe-to-toe with the opponent. And, and even that game against Souths in the second half, uh, the defensive systems worked really well when we numbered up correctly and we showed good line speed. And, and even on our goal line, Souths weren't able to crack us and we were able to turn away Latron Mitchell when he had, you know, coming downhill against us. But then we have these lapses and we let the opponents score in little clusters. And that's the big thing, I think, is that we're not going one for one or we're not getting our nose out in front now. We're letting the opponent score in in these clusters that really kill momentum. And this is the entire uh, loss, uh, the losing streak that we've had. If you go back to when we versed the Canberra Raiders starting this uh, losing streak, they scored that early double to make it 12-0. And then you score, look you look at the Roosters, we had that early run of possession, couldn't capitalize, and all of a sudden Josh Morris and Satili Tupania go back-to-back on consecutive possessions to go out to a 10-0 lead. So you're, you're, you're in this two-hole where you've got to score at least twice to get a look back in for the lead. And it's you know too much for this team that has got its other issues to overcome. So really disappointing to see the South City Rabbitohs able to score in that cluster again, and that proved very costly. As I move my microphone and lose connection, sorry about that. Uh, one thing I did want to touch on, and by no means an excuse, but when things are bad and, and you're causing your own issues and you know not much is going right, it is amazing how much else can go wrong. Oregon Kafusi knocked out of the game in the first tackle. Reed May knocked out of the season in the last minute. Like the, the, these things, yeah. they, they just they just pile it on when things are bad, don't they? The football gods just have a wicked sense of humor. And like you know, to a lesser extent, because those two are very serious injuries. Reedy kicked. Um, yep, that hit, great, a great, great clearing kick in the first half. Uh, oh, and it was for, so close to a 40-20, so close to pulling up in the end goal. For all and money, it was going to roll in at the five-meter line and be an incredible yeah. turn of possession and then just kept straightened up and just kept going. And then, <laughs> and then Mitchell Moses, from, yep. yeah, the, his, his trademark, that super kick he gets with that, he gets an extra height on the midfield bomb and it, it bounces, you know, usually directly up, if anything, and then all of a sudden takes a kick towards the, the dead ball line. So those are the things that really they really add up when uh, things are bad, don't they? Yeah, and you know you talk about when things go bad. I think this is what the team needs to do. Like when we, we when we're against the Roosters, I would have been absolutely fine if we just kept rolling it into the end goal. You don't need to score in the first minute. You don't need to score in the first ten minutes. Yeah, you've got to make sure you're up at the end. If that's right. Your opposition is defending 10, 12 sets in a row. That's huge for def- for. You know, they could turn you away every single time. But if they're making those defensive efforts, they're going to get tired eventually because it takes a whole team to to defend. It only takes a couple of people to attack. Yep. And that impatience, that lack of willingness to grind out those tougher outcomes during a possession, whether it means not scoring or and, you know, and fighting for the line dropout or fighting to turn over the ball one meter out and then crushing them in defense, that sort of really defined those last three results. We've been so impatient and so unwilling to do the things that really made us great for most of the season. 
So I don't I don't know. And and this is something where you can apportion blame to both players and and coaching staff alike because you know this is not a, a problem that's as easy as saying you know what it's Quentin Gufferson's fault or it's Mitchell Moses' fault or you know Brad Arthur's preparation is not good enough and and you know we need to have a complete overhaul of that. It, it is a complex issue. Um, even though the the actual one of the core issues is simple in terms of the execution and the effort levels, the how you fix it is not so simple, isn't it? Very true. Speaking of effort levels, there's one player. I've been on a bit of his case, you know, privately. I think it's time to bring it out on the podcast. Mike Acevo. Now, he's had it for a couple of games, and it's been a lot of this year, but he's just – we've got someone in there, Mike Acevo size. Now, he's listed as 186 centimetres, 105 kilos. He was up against Josh Mansour, who's listed at 183 centimetres, 98 kilos. Mansour doubled Sevo's metres. Why is Josh Mansour running 23 times for 248 metres? Why is Mike Acevo running only 13 times for 106 metres? Come on, Mike, you've got to get behind the ball. You've got to make those tough runs on tackle one and two. Especially when you're the only noted power winger in the lineup, given that Hayes Dunster was in there. And Hayes toils and he tries, but doesn't have the physique to dominate the ruck in the NRL. No. I think Hayes is probably going to be, I won't say a career backup, because, you know, anything could happen if you keep plugging away at it. But Mike is the one, he's the size, he's got a bit of first grade experience, he's played 50 or so games by now, you know, you've got, you're the you're the experienced one in the back line at this club, you've been here the longest, it's time that, you know, you've got to push for, I say 15 runs, that's only two more than what he gave us, but, you know, he should, or the club should set him a goal, you've got to run 15 times and nine of those times has to be in the first half. He only made um, six. six runs in the first half. Yeah. That was what you were talking to me about before the podcast is what really stood out to you was at halftime you had Mansour on a dozen runs, uh, I think, uh, Xavier, uh, Paulo, Jackson Paulo on 10 or 11, Hayes on nine and Micah on six. So six. Not, not doing his share of the workload during those tough opening exchanges at the very least. And so, so you know, the team could or the opposition could be kicking towards Hayes, whatever. Well, then it's your job as a winger. We've seen other wingers go across the other side of the field to take runs. You know, as a winger, that's your job to me in the modern game is to make those meters. Absolutely. Currently, Sevo's in there for his finishing ability, which is pretty much done by the work of the inside guys. Yes. I don't think you can carry a wing, or unless they're an absolute speed and freak like Josh Adekar and Alex Johnson. Even out of But even then, those yeah. two still ruck the ball out. Yeah, especially out of car. Apologies again, my microphone. Uh, especially out of car, he does not shirk his responsibilities helping the team do the tough stuff. So yeah, that that is a very fair criticism of Micah, and it's probably emblematic of of a wider issue among the core playing group in this team in that three game uh, stretch that we've had where we've gone lost, lost, lost to the Raiders, the Roosters, and the Rabbitohs. So maybe we should stop playing teams that start with R. Maybe that's the secret there. Uh, but uh, too many core players are slumping, you know. And usually you can have one or two guys slumping, and you can pick up the slack elsewhere. But we've had uh, arguably career lows for Quinton Gufferson, for Dylan Brown. Uh, Reed, who has struggled post the Titans game, which might have been more uh, symptomatic of that shoulder in- issue, never really healing as much as it you know could have. Uh, but Nathan Brown, Junior Paulo, Ryan Madison, uh, Sean Lane, even Marada near Corey, all these guys just collectively they're they're down five or ten percent when we need them to be up five or ten percent, and that you know twenty percent swing in in potential performances has been huge when we haven't had Mitchell Moses and we've been struggling across the park. So yeah, just. 
unfortunate timing and those sort of things. And it's part of the reason why sports are so fascinating because, you know, these guys firing for so much of the season and then just in a period where you needed a few of them to step up, unfortunately, they collectively uh, dropped down a gear. Well, that's the thing, you know, I've seen a lot of comments online and, you know, blow up the whole team. It's only little tweaks we've got to make to the team and little tweaks to players' performances. And then all of a sudden, we win to, you know, at this time of the year, we've got Manly, we've got Cowboys, we've got the Storm and the Panthers. Now, realistically, we'll win one or two of those games. But if we can win one of those two, you know, it's just that little bit extra, and then we can compete against Melbourne, and we can compete against Penrith. And but that, that's the that's the beauty of sports. Back yeah, a bit. that's the beauty of sports. We are down and out, and not going to win a game in the finals right now. But like Cam said, you you get one or two results, and all of a sudden you're not premiership favourites by any means. But you've now positioned yourself to maybe make a sneaky little charge into the finals, and that's why you love sports because that unpredictability adds so much to the viewing experience. Yeah, it's it's to me it's little tweaks within the game that. You know, we'll get us back to what we saw round two against Melbourne, what we saw against Penrith. I know we lost against them by one point, but it was just that competitiveness. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think our natural talent, because we've got natural talent there. You've got Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses, Clinton Gutherson, Junior Paulo, Ryan Madison, Isaiah Puppet. These guys are attacking players. I think once they just need to get that win first, hopefully it's this weekend. <laughs> Um, I think they need to get that win, get that second win, and they'll have a bit of wind under their sails and then compete against Melbourne and Penrith. And I think, and I'm not going to say we're going to go deep in the finals because I don't have a crystal ball, but, you know, we'll put up a, a fight in the finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bertie, any closing comments on this one as we put it into the books? Uh, just like I said last week, um, we need. I don't expect us to turn it around this week or this part, previous week and expect semi-final football. I just want to see improvement. In fact, we didn't improve at all. Like, piss me off like how, like i don't want to single out Hayes. you know this could be a coaching thing because if you pull fergo and he does the same thing but why is he rushing in on his wing like like south just kept like you, you pointed out why mansell had so many run meters you know half of them came because you ran around Hayes dunstars i just feel as though this team like we've got i, I get, look without over being over biased we've got two of the most creative halves in the comp right like at between moses and brown and i feel as though we're just so predictable with them so it could be just let them do let them do what they want, you know. And and for previous years, we used to blast Moses, couldn't win us a game, couldn't grind us a game. But I just feel as though they're just too they're too bit uh too scared to do to do something. Well, I, I think Ham raised a salient point earlier in that they're sort of telegraphing a lot of their attack by playing too wide with that uh, the read money bullet pass off the ground and allowing teams to key into what they're doing and and really pick them off because of it. So if they create a little bit more of a mix up game based on standing closer to the ruck at times and and punishing sloppy ruck defense or straightening attack earlier to give their outside men more space, that might facilitate a sort of a healthier run of play for the offense in general. So I'm interested to see if they make that adjustment because I think Ham's point was pretty good. But yeah, uh, defensively. I mean, you, look at, look at, you look at the first try for South, that wasn't planned. They just literally heads up, look look the other way. So you don't have to do everything by the book and by the game plan. You, know, this, you can target certain players, but if you see something, you see half a chance, you know, chance the arm, like, what what do you got like right now? What do we got to lose? We, you know, we we're, we're free falling at the moment. You know, we need to do something to you know correct ourselves. So I think with that, you know, that's a philosophy towards um, how you can change the game. But I think the the way that we could do it is sounds very odd. Play more conservative in that um, complete your sets, kick kick well, kick chase well, and then you do that a couple times, and you'll sort of build. You know, again, this, I'm not saying this is the right way or the wrong way. I'm just saying, like, 
you know, you can go out there, chance your arm. And you know what? You know, you could do a Parramatta 2009 where every offload just comes off. That's, you know, it, it has worked in the past. And then I think the way that our team will do it this year is, you know, not, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but like, just do that little 1% things. And then when you do the little 1% things, you don't need a chip and chase. You don't need that. All of a sudden, oh, we've got a three on two on the right-hand side. We've just got to go through the hands here. So I just think, you know, it's a philosophy of do we do it offloading um, the way Birdie is saying or are we going to go the way, not necessarily conservative approach, but just do the 1% things right. Also, also, Gufferson, you know, as soon as you get the ball, you've got to make up your decision. You're going to pass the ball, pass the Civo or a winger, or you're going to run a hard straight because every time he runs, he's just getting buried. He's, he runs, he, he sort of half asses to it and he gets literally driven back or gets smashed. So we have to have the emphasis on starting our sets early. Get quick, get in there, start sprinting. You know, who gives a shit if you get smashed? Just start sprinting, pumping those legs because as you know, as people have mentioned um, in the Discord, like we can, we can monster, we can literally gang tackle, held up and we got to do something, you know, start the sets real, you know, start getting over the advantage line and um, get some post-contact meters because I'm sure, I don't, I haven't got the stats up here, but I reckon our post-contact meters the last three weeks have been dramatically. No, valid, valid. And it'd be interesting to see which way the Eels choose to adopt uh, coming into this, this week with the, the match against Manly and how they want to invigorate their game plan both offensively and defensively, whether they go uh, up-tempo, offloading, or if they go like what Ham is uh, sort of looking at where it's a more traditional offensive structure, playing closer to the ruck, uh, you know, playing a more controlled uh, style of football and letting the game develop and then, you know, striking fast if you can. So, yeah, definitely food for thought there. And uh, by virtue of the Penrith Panthers edging past the South Sydney, South Sydney, the Sydney Roosters, uh, Parramatta do maintain their grip on fourth spot at the uh, the conclusion of round 21, but it is a tenuous grip given that the Roosters are now equal with them on points uh, for and against of plus 21, saving the Eels from slipping out of the top four. And uh, obviously if Manly looming in round 22, they're on 26 points and this is a pivotal game to shape the makeup of the uh, top six. So lots on the line heading into round 22. But before we get to that, let's talk NRL news, boys. Uh, just a few pieces and uh, bits and bobs this week. Nothing too big. I mean, para in the news a lot because uh, the media in general are talking about where we're going wrong, whether Brad Arthur's the guy. There's been actually a lot of passionate defense of Brad Arthur from Paul Kent and um, Ham. You had a recommendation for a podcast to listen to um, in terms of Den and Kemp, I believe. I was going to say, after you listen to this one, because this is the more important one. Correct. Um, bloke, bloke in a bar, I think it's called. Correct. I'm going to say that with uh, Dan and Kemp and Brett Finch. I'm not sure the name of the podcast. My phone's not hear me at the moment. But if you, you know, it's on Spotify. I was listening to it on Spotify earlier today. It's probably on Google Play, Google Music. I don't know what the other streaming sites and are. And it's not just an impassioned defense of Brad Arthur, but it talks about the Eels in general, the good and bad, doesn't it? Yeah, from about the 29 and a half minute mark in, they talk about Parramatta and just the situation that they're in. And I think that, you know, when you listen to your Buzz Rothfields, listen to your James Hoopers and all that, they've got to create a headline so that Fox Sports can run an article two hours later quoting them. So they've probably told and they know, oh, I've got to make a headline here. I've got to make an article. I'm going to say this. And then Fox Sports, who's my employer, is then going to write another article about it and they're going to put staff writers on the as the author. So they've got to create that. So, you know, take away those guys. Take away us because we're very emotional. We're... In 100% invested in this team. And, you know, you look, those two guys there both played footy. Say what you want about their abilities, but 
they're ex-footballers, so they would have had to have some. Um, and they just, I think they just had a very um, outside-looking-in take on it. I think they had a very outside... They're not pushing any hidden agendas. Like, you look at... That's yeah, Rothfield, you know. That's like a big, got, that's a big thing, yeah. Man. Like, seriously, what does like, Flanagan gets linked to every job? Like, what has he done? He's done nothing, you know. Like, he got <laughs> lucky roster. He cheated practically for the roster. Thing. So, yeah, just done cheated on, cheated like on two again. fronts as well, by the way. So, yeah, that's... It's, um, uh, it's funny when you listen to, just off topic here, just when you listen to um, commentary when Shane Flanagan's on, they always go, the commentary always throws to him because this is the only way that he can ever talk. Um, they throw to him and go, oh, now, Flanagan, what would you do as a coach in this situation? Doesn't matter what he would do as a coach. He's a freaking commentator now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in terms of general NRL news, unfortunately, it's another season lost in the New South Wales Cup and below uh, NSWRL officially pulling the plug on all lower grade competitions this week. Uh, at least we got through half the competition this year. Um, so at least there was a little bit of development done there. But uh, this is good. I think in, in the coming years, we're going to look back on this two-year stretch and it's going to be devastating what the toll is to rugby league, not from a dollar perspective, but from the talent that we're going to lose or not be developed enough, you know, not just for Parramatta, but for all 16 teams. So very, very unfortunate that had to be, but given that the game is, you know, paying out the backside to keep the competition running in Queensland at the moment, uh, I doubt they were going to ever really get the New South Wales Cup back up. Yeah, well, you know, looking at our own ranks, um, two players that spring to behind, David Hollis, Solomon and Iduki both would be turning. Oh, even Charbel Tassapale, there's another one. Tarsi James, there's four players like just rattle off without thinking that, you know, two years without their development. Yep. That's, I know they've pre season and everything, but like. And given that we had a team running second. Every week and training with first grade every week. We had a young uh, team running second. So we literally had the perfect vehicle being piloted for development and it's uh, just been abandoned, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. No fault of anybody. But. No, no, this, this isn't an accusation towards anyone. It's just the, unfortunately, with the second outbreak of COVID, the, the hands are tied, really. It's just, a, we, like I said, we're going to look back on this as a real dark period for the game because of the uh, the opportunity cost in terms of talent development that we're going to see uh, hurt clubs down the road. So very unfortunate, but definitely no one at fault here outside of the people that are spreading COVID around the country. And, and you know, that that's a, a nationwide issue. So I'll tell you what, it might be a dark period for the NRL in coming years and talent development, but I've never been lighter. Tell you what, not going down to ring roads every second week and eating two chip rolls and gravy, I'm about 20 kilos lighter, I'll tell and you the, that much. The hip pocket's probably a bit heavier too. You don't have to, uh, no concession food and whatnot, so you're doing good. Uh, and then in terms of Parramatta news, unfortunately we had uh, it confirmed today, but although it was uh, leaked to the media prior, Reed Marnie will be out for the remainder of the 2021 season. There was the idea being entertained that he would uh, just sit through and heal up for the remainder of the regulation season and come back in the finals and then get off-season surgery, but they've uh, decided to push ahead with the best path forwards for the long-term success of both Reed and the club. He will go under the knife to fix that uh, subluxation of the shoulder. And unfortunately, Oregon Kafusi picked up a concussion from that very first tackle against the Rabbitohs, and he's going to be out for round 23. Uh, Blake Ferguson due back from a calf injury round 23-24. William McGregg on the same timeline for an ankle syndesmosis injury. While Nathaniel Roach in his knee bruising is still TBA, which is kind of crazy at this point. Um, so I, you just have to assume we're not going to see Roach again in 2021 if they can, have not given us a timeline uh, yet. Uh, likewise, Reagan Campbell-Gillard with his groin injury is TBA, but in the media it was speculated he would be back for the finals. So the Eel is well down on troops now, and including some big-time players in Reed Marnie, Reagan Campbell-Gillard, 
and then Oregon Cavusi and Blake Ferguson, who are both you know frontline players there. So yeah, like we said before, when you're doing it tough, football finds a way to kick you when you're down. So it, it just happens to happen right after <laughs> the transfer. Yeah, closed. yeah, we we get blown out post transfer window closing. Yep, and the uh, Eels obviously not making any acquisitions, even though we made a few midseason moves earlier in the season with the likes of Wiramu Greg and uh, Hayes Perham joining our ranks, if I'm not mistaken. So did not make any moves later in the season, though, which means we're now a little bit short in troops, but that's the nature of the bubble and the, uh, the whole saga that every club's going through. And that Going forward, do you do you because we always leave like one or two spots open season, do you think we should just fill it up come round one? Why... Like, do you, do you feel as though no real advantage? Because, like, if we're waiting for some off contact, I don't know, I feel as though, like, wishing that high-profile player gets off contract mid-year, not off contract, but it's available for aid, I feel as though... It's a- I mean, uh, my mindset would be is that you're not using spots 29 and 30 for your roster early in the season unless something has truly gone wrong. Um, you should not be using more than, you know, 20-something slots, right? You have your top 17, and, you know, you sort of position around that, and guys that get nicked up early or we get suspended early so you're using maybe 20 players early in the season so I'm, I'm not opposed to carrying an open roster slot because at the very worst you can upgrade a young kid if you have to and i don't even know if it's a, the the rules about having to fill your top 30 now are a little bit ambiguous with the whole you can play second tier players post uh, deadline anyway so yeah i'm not i'm not against the birdie i feel like uh it's the the mercenary trend of plays is going to just going to increase from here on in you're going to see ring chases and guys trying to get out of bad clubs to good clubs more and more, even if it's just for half a year or less. So I think you have to keep a slot open because you need to be able to compete with the likes of the Panthers and the Storm and the Roosters who are going to be doing this. And then also, like, even if that player doesn't become available, at least you give yourself six months to judge your juniors coming through. So say if you are looking at your development guys, you've got two props, two outside backs. You go, oh, we've had a few injuries in the backs. Maybe just bump one of those players up. That's you know that's a way you could look at it, but you know if if you're looking at we want to set top thirty and we want to go in that with that strong, then yeah, I suppose if you want to look at it that way, hundred percent you want that thirty signed up. But yeah, another inter- there's an interesting diversion of uh, thought there, isn't it? Whether you want to load up your thirty before the season and be you know just confident in your roster heading into a given campaign, or you want to be a little bit more opportunistic, which I think you have to be these days, given that that's exactly what the other top clubs are doing. You need to have to have the provisions to be able to compete with them. You know, it, it is an arms race now. When you've got Pangai Jr. joining the freaking Penrith Panthers, yes. and and you've got you, you know that clubs like the Roosters and the Storm would actively be interested in getting other guys like that to join them. You you have to have the provisions to counterattack. You, you cannot be stagnant while other teams are gearing up, and that that is the unfortunate reality. Of what the NRL's created with this new transfer window and where it seems to be trending in general, as uh, players are empowered to uh, break contracts more and more, so, and just later and later, like yeah. Why were they able to change up until August? You pretty mm-hmm. much, especially this year, we knew who the top six were going to be. If you're, well, look at Pangai Jr., perfect example. Like, I'm going to the dogs next year. What do I care about the Broncos for? Oh, Penrith have a spot open. Maybe go, call go those guys up. Yep. You know, see if I can just get on the bench or something. I'll play for whatever my contract is, even less. I might be able to get a premiership before I go over to the Bulldogs. Mm-hmm. He's going to the Bulldogs, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he uh, signed a, a very rich three-year deal to the tune of uh, 800000 or thereabouts, I believe, per annum. <clears throat> so good money, good money for him. Um, and uh, unfortunately, he's had a, a deeply personal setback that sort of leave the bubble for the Panthers. So very unfortunate uh, for both him and, and the Panthers, respectively. 
but it, it doesn't mean that the situation is any less farcical from a footballing perspective where you've got, like I said, mercenaries chasing rings now and breaking contracts to join the top two or three clubs. So it's going to be something to monitor moving forwards. But let's get into Parramatta Talk once again. We'll get into our Round 22 preview. It's a big game. The Seagulls are hosting the Eels at the Sunshine Coast Seabus Super Stadium, is it? No, Sunshine Coast Stadium. So it's not, yeah, they've yeah. moved it. They're going to out to the actual Sunshine Coast, not the Gold Coast, sorry. And this is prime time Saturday night, 7.35 p.m. Uh, Manly coming in off a last start loss where they took on the Melbourne Storm and were pipped to the tune of, if I quickly look at the draw, uh, they lost 28-18. Uh, but the media is going on how they showed the blueprint to beat the Storm, even though they lost. So there you go. But Manly are one of the form teams in competition and largely joined part to their number one, Tom Tobojevic, who is uh, fit and healthy to take us on this week. In the back line, he's got Jason Saab and Ruben Garrick on the wings of Brad Parker or Hank Scorpio and Morgan Harper in the centres. In the halves, uh, what's uh, old is new. Kieran Foran and Dowie Cherry Evans partnering up in 2021 to take the Eagles to the finals. DCE will also have the C next to his name. In the forwards, Josh Aliwai and Martin Tapau are bookending Lock and Croker at uh, dummy half. And then in the back row, it's uh, one of the better young combinations in the competition of Hamoli Alakwatu on one edge and Josh Schuster on the other. Jake Dubovic locks a scrum for the Seagulls. On the bench, Dylan Walker, Carl Lawton, Curtis Sirinan and Kurt DeLuy. And the extended roster, Moses Suli, Cade Cast, Jack Kosweski and Ben Dubovic. So they've got the uh, Dubovic Exodia assembled in the 21, but only two of them playing in the actual team list. For the Eels, Quinton Gufferson, captain and fullback as always, Mike Acevo and Michael Oldfield on the wing. So Hayes Dunster dropped for form reasons, it looks like, uh, on the back of those defensive, laps, defensive lapses that got Birdie really wound up in our match review for round 21. Uh, in the centres, it is unchanged though, Tom Opachik and Wanga Blake. I know that a few of us were pining for Will Penasini to get another look in, but Brad Arthur staying with the hot hand in Wanga Blake and giving Tom Opachik another chance, who's been pretty solid throughout the 2021 season. In the halves, Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses. A big change in the front row. No Oregon Cafusi, as we alluded to earlier, due to that concussion. No Reagan Campbell-Gillard because of that groin injury. So Zai Papali'i moves from the left edge to starting prop forward to partner Junior Polo. Joey Lusick, as we all expected, takes over from Reed Marnie at dummy half. In that vacant left edge position, Brad Arthur is plumped for Sean Lane to take over. Ryan Madison holds down the right edge. Nathan Brown at lock forward. On the bench, Will Smith is a utility. Bryce Cartwright in line for increased playing time with uh, Sean Lane on one edge. I expect Lane to hold down the uh, opening sort of 15, 20 minutes, and then Bryce Cartwright might get injected into the fray. And then Murata Niakore is the last returning face for round 21 because there's an NRL rookie. Another mature age debutant for the Eels, Makahesi Makatoa gets his maiden NRL cap. Well done to the Mac attack. Big fellow has been outstanding, and I mean outstanding, in the New South Wales Cup this year. Has really helped spearhead the Eels to that second place position before the, the uh, competition was abandoned. Uh, incredible numbers, and not just a big work rate, but the efficiency was very good. Um, I'm really keen to see what he can do. He's not going to be the panacea to Parramatta's woes, but this is a well-deserved uh, debut for a uh, elder journey or an elder statesman of the reserve grade game. And uh, I'm really looking forward to what he can do after what Andrew David did for us as a similar mature age debutante in 2020. On the extended roster, you've got Ray Stone, Will Penasini, Hayes Dunster, and Jake Arthur. Match officials, Grant Atkins blowing the main whistle with Matt Noyan and John Stone. You know nothing, John. Uh, on the sidelines, Ashley Klein is the uh, uh, the video referees just constantly disappoint me. Uh, Ashley Klein in the box. 
Uh, one, one thing from last week. Sorry to go back to it. How did Latrell Mitchell not get sin pinned for his high shot on Mike Acevo? And how did, um, what was the center that took off Moses' head twice? Uh, Tane. Tane Mill. Yeah, Tane. Both yeah. of those. Crack, bins every, crack, even crackdowns, the crackdown. crackdown's dead. And and if anything, it's like you said, it's actually gone reverted back past where we used to be, where yeah. so much high contact's like, hey, you know what? I'll put it on report, but that's it. It's yeah, even anyway. even Rapana drove uh, into um. Oh, can we can we talk about knees? Uh, is I Papa Lee? The refs have oh. something out for him. The the penalty. <laughs> there was no he, knees in that tackle. The penalty he gave away for knees in the tackle that was nothing. The, no, no knees. That, that is that is a. Uh, uh, I can't remember if we, we swear here, but that is a bleeping tip sheet, uh, referee tip sheet thing from the Tigers game. Like the, they've jotted it down, Bill Harrigan style, watch as I properly even knees in the ruck. And if you if he's like anywhere near leaning on a player or his knees are anywhere near a player, yep, we'll penalise him, put him on report and, and completely change the flow of the game early on. So, Well, well see, the fact the play didn't go, didn't stay down for like a, have a look at it, it was pretty quick. The referee blew the yeah. So, he goes straight away. <laughs> anyway, the Manly Seagulls, boys, red hot team. They are coming off a last start loss against the best team in the competition. Uh, we know that Tonta Boyevich is going to be an absolute nightmare to contain, but the Eels need to do that job. And more than that, they need to get on top of the Manly Seagulls through the middle. That's where a lot of our issues have started. Manly have got a reasonable forward pack, sort of, it pivots on the back of a couple of guys, doesn't it? You know, they're looking for big games for Marty Tapau. And then from their edge guys, especially Josh Schuster, but Olokowatu has been very good too. How did the Eels stop the skid? How did the Eels beat the Seagulls? How did the Eels rediscover their own mojo? I think we just have to focus on our own game this week. Don't, you know, the the media after, I think it was the Roosters game, or the Raiders game, was that we don't pass the ball around enough. And then now it's, I would pass around, just, you know, play, keep it simple, stupid, the kiss rule. Mm-hmm. Run hard, tackle hard, kick hard. That's what we needed to do from the start. And, you know, obviously there's intricacies and ways that you can nullify Trevojevic with low kicks. And we brought it up in the podcast when we played um, Manly before. But I think different circumstances now towards going into this game. I just think we need to focus on our own game, complete our sets, smart kicks, chase those kicks hard. And then, you know, from there, anything can happen. No fair. Bertie, what do you want to see still against the Seagulls? Do you, do you want us to focus on what we need to do, or, or is it for you the priority, you know, absolutely suffocating Tom Tobojevic and, you know, taking it from there? Get the baseball bats out, start bashing people, <laughs> show some aggression. Like, you know, we, we've got a big pack. I want Nathan Brown. I want, I want you know, just go out there and just start whacking them. Like, you know, as soon as you put them on the back foot, you know, it's just like Mike Tyson. Everyone has a plan until they get punched. Just go out there and, you know, uh, smack a uh, pal, you know, Josh, uh, Josh, what are these, Schuster, like he... Now, he turned into David Fafita last time we played. You know, we couldn't tackle him sideways. It just get out. Just show some aggression. Like, and I'm talking controlled aggression, not like Jack Everton aggression. We used, but yeah, just, just as Brad Arthur said, uh, they have no respect for us. Preview for the game. Show some, show some balls, man. Get out there. Uh, like obviously we can't look. Tom, Tom Turbo's going to win the Daly uh, M. He's he's the best player of the comp. There's, there's going to be times where he's going to tear us apart, but we just got to be better. Just start getting. Get numbers around. No one try to be a hero. Leaders, leaders. You know, just like the you know one of the greatest movies of all time, Three Hundred. You know, what is it called? The Pharynx or what? Is it called? Phal- you know, the Phalanx. Phalanx. That's it. Yeah. Lead all together as one. No one stick out. No one. You know, um, try to be a hero. Do your job. But but I just want to see aggression. You know, when's the last time? When's the last time we bash someone? Essentially. That's fair. 
Um, for me personally, I think that Ham and, and Birdie both touched on uh, a lot of the important points in terms of where you want to be physical with Manly and disrupt them, like you said, Birdie, and then with Ham focusing on the issues that we need to take care of in-house. But I'd reinforce the team that while there is no I in team, and you know that's true, and you can there's always, a there, there, I, there's a we in key. There is a we in key, but <laughs> more, more importantly, right. if you take the two eyes from Kiwi and you take that eye that's not in team, and you use them to form the three eyes that get you over the line, and it's like this. What? Oh. <laughs> Intensity, intelligence, <laughs> and integrity. Got <laughs> Bill. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how the Eels get the win over Manly. Start blasting some Kurt Angle themes, and uh, you get Mitchell Moses channeling the the you know won a gold medal for broken neck. He's gonna win a premiership with a broken back, baby. Um, just hopefully they don't play the Kurt Angle theme when we run out because we know how um, Edge flipped that. <laughs> We don't want the fans chanting that at us. So. <laughs> I, mean, I was, I was chanting that at half time. You start. <laughs> and then when Kurt Angle cut the music and told him to start again, one of the iconic moments for me. Uh, absolute legend. But yeah, uh, we're going to pull out our hose and cover them with milk. So <laughs> I was hoping we could do like a Stone Cold Steve Austin come out in the truck and start spraying everyone with the hoses. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but obviously a pivotal game for the Eels. Uh, a lot of implications for that top six uh, shakedown, as we talked about in the end of the, the review segment. Uh, a win here puts you back up to 30 points, creates a potential buffer between you, or creates a four-point buffer between you and the Seagulls and potentially a two-point buffer between you and the Roosters, uh, depending on who they play this week quickly. They take on the Broncos, so they should win, but Brisbane are odd. They could um, generate the upset, and they really got under their – well, Pango Jr. got under Victor Radley's nose last time, and he's not there anymore. So, yeah, you got, you got to win to stay in the hunt for the top four. And, you know, I know Manly got us last time this year on the back of the highly emotionally charged game with Bozo, Bob Fulton's passing. But historically, under Brad Arthur, the Eels have been very good against Manly. Um, so you look towards that historical form to maybe come true again. And, you know, more than anything, you, the team just needs to re- rediscover itself. You know, get back to what makes it a great team in terms of that strong physical play, but also being adventurous when, you know, when the opportunity presents itself, but not forcing it by the same token. So uh, there's a lot of dualities there. And no, they're not paradoxes, but they are balancing a fine margin between the two competing forces. So get those right. And, and even if it's an ugly win, just anything gets you back in the hunt. There's no matter pressure on by us. one or one hundred. Yeah, exactly, you know, four and against. Obviously, whatever it's great, and and the Eels, even though they still got a good four and against relative to the competition, they're miles behind the other big three teams now. But there's no pressure on us, man. Like everyone's right, ridden us off. We're not making the top well, four. Right off is getting sacked into the year. I, I'd argue there's more pre- more pressure than ever because of that, Birdie. Uh, we everyone is sort of locked into this must win mentality now because of the talk that Brad's going to get the sack and. Play is going to be moved on and the Eels need to get superstars, which means you've got to get rid of, you know, if you want superstars, you've got to cut existing talent, right? So I think just blotting out the outside noise, getting back to the stuff that makes the Eels such a strong team has to be the focus. And maybe in a way, Manly is the ideal opponent because over the last uh, seven, eight years on the Brad, we've played some of our best football against Manly. So maybe this might be a fortuitous matchup more than it is a bad matchup coming up against the, the form dark horse of the competition. All that and more will be found out on Saturday night. So let's get to predictions. Uh, who wants to go first, Birdie or Ham? I've done the last first. Wait, Birdie, did you say you want to go last? Yeah, I'll go last because, uh, you know, I've done the last two weeks. Oh, it's okay. true. You have held the fort down without myself and Hamish. Yeah, um, we've been in quarantine. So. He's been in quarantine um, and, and I've uh, either 
completely forgot about the podcast or had the Yvonne Sampson podcast on the tip sheet to prepare for. So. Oh, la-di-da. Oh, I spoke to Yvonne Sampson. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, Ham, hit me with your best shot. First try oh, scorer. Oh, you dropped margin. something here. Um, no. <laughs> um, first try scorer, going around the ruck. I'm going, call me Big Papa. Oh, in the middle. Mm. Yeah, he's mm. he's been you know consistently one of our hardest blokes to tackle throughout the year. And this is something I wrote about in Teamless Tuesday. Maybe he's the guy that can uh, really set the tone in the middle because you know we want to win those collisions. He is the best player in our team at winning the collision. So maybe he can was, really spark them there. I think Papa's going to go off. I'm going to. I think the move to the middle. He'll see it as a challenge because he hasn't played the. When was the last time he played middle against the Broncos? Maybe. Maybe it's been a, it's been some time because he went to the edge quite and, a while. Yeah, and we know he went off in that game coming off the bench, but I think he's going to go absolutely insane, crazy. He's going to have his eyes rolling the back around of his head. He's going to start pulling out his hair. He's going to be psycho, um, but in a good way, like Birdie says, controlled aggression. Um, so him first, try scorer and Pierre Meta to win 12-8. Ooh. Mm. All righty. Spicy scoreline. Birdie, can you top that? Yeah, I feel as though we're going to go out there and um, similar to what the Raiders, what we did to Raiders and Early this year, we're gonna go out there and bash them. I reckon we're just our forwards are gonna set the platform. It'll be a close game. I think we'll win like 18 12, but um, yeah, look, it's gonna be. I reckon they're gonna be flying, you know, running off the top back. I just want, I just want to see that happen. Um, you know, whether or not we if we lose to Tom Turbo, so be it. He's been the heart of the competition on his own. And there's just, just one thing we gotta, we gotta look out for is like Jason Saab's got speed. Remember that, people. You know, so whoever's on the wing, you know, Oldfield or Sivo, uh, he's going to run around you. Jason he's not gonna run over you. is very fast. Yeah. He's, he's not going to run over you. He's just going to run around you. We know what Sivo's going to do. He's going to run over you. So, like, just just don't rush in. Just stay back. You know? And if they beat us off the fluky try or some you know, individual brilliance, so be it. You know, they got X Factor in their team. Apparently, we got none. So, uh, I'm confident around. Um, you know, everyone's saying Manly. Manly are like literally premiership contenders, even though they've only been us. Like, you know, you've, you've really crowned them, you know, anoint them. So I reckon that's what I want us to get, have the siege mentality. Like, no one's raiding us, you know, get everyone together. They want your coach sack, like, play for each other. I feel that's going to happen. You know, we might turn a corner this way. Yeah. And your first try score, buddy? Oh, sorry. First try score, I'm going to go Matto. I don't know. I just feel as though Matto has like a stop start season. Like, you, know, you think he's doing well, he scores a couple of tries and he goes to his shell a bit. But um, I feel as though he might lead, might lead this. Yeah, so I could see him um, leading from, yeah. All righty. Well, obviously this is a game that Manly could very easily run away with, given their form coming into the contest, but you got to tip a Parramatta win. you got to get them arresting the slide and reigniting their finals campaign, so Parramatta to get up. I'm going to go for a little bit more of a high-scoring affair, um, maybe 26-20. And first try scorer for the Eels. Oh, is there a spicy pick? to go for in this week's team list. Um, I mean, I like Wanga Blake. He's been pretty good. You know what? Uh, we, we, we've criticized him from Pillar the Post and for good reason, but Sean Lane starting on the left edge, I might give him the nod to get the first point, the first points for the Barramatta Eels. Is he going to be left edge? Well, you think they might do an old switcheroonie for Ryan Madison? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the trial match against Penrith and the round one against uh, the Broncos, it was the whole edge, both edges swapped. True. Yeah. So. Yeah, nothing. I mean, it could also be a pregame shuffle too if Bryce Cartwright come into the mix as well. So, or Murata Niakore, depending on how they want to use um, Lane through the middle. 
So still options and, and ducks and drags that can be played. But, yeah, I'll lock in Sean Lane for my first try scorer. And, yeah, that 26-20 margin. Um, before we go, we can do our general shout-outs and perhaps sports uh, appreciation. The Boomers getting their uh, breakthrough bronze medal boys, Paddy Mills or Paddy Frills, popping off for 42 points against uh, Slovenia. And, Tell you uh, what, Boomers have had it too hard in Australia for too long. So it's about time. <laughs> new and um, the great barrier thief, uh, Matisse Feibel, locking up Luka Doncic. So very good job from the Boomers and outstanding job from the Olympic team in general. Um, our greatest ever Olympic hall. Um, and in the pool, the girls were dominant in the field. There was um, a number of outstanding performers. So lots of uh, fantastic efforts across the Olympics in general. So it could we'll, have been more, but a few teams, you know, yeah, a, a few teams. So yeah, the, the, the hockey ruse, unfortunately, settling for silver um, up against Belgium, I think it was. So a few other results where you get the um, you can convert silver into gold, and all of a sudden it's that much of a better Olympics campaign. But even still, uh, well done to all the men and women involved. And boys, any shout outs for you? NBA finals are over. I know we had Hamish shouting out the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, so we're into the preseason there. NFL preseason's upon us now. We're starting to get camps and opposed uh, sessions between clubs. So Birdies, Cowboys, My Seahawks, Hamish and Hamish's Green Bay Packers. More stuff to follow there. And the Me base, and Ham, um, our, our beloved football is back this week. That's right. Uh, Come on, you Spurs. Yep. And then baseball's getting towards the serious end of the season. My Mariners just uh, knocked over your, uh, your Rays, but then got done by the Yankees. In a, a very tense series with some dubious officiating, um, but your Rays are very well positioned this year to make a great run towards the World Series. Yeah. Got a few trades, but uh, I think Dodgers just keep through. Well, the, that, that, that's the absurdity of the baseball, isn't it? The, what the Dodgers did this year, the trade deadline, it, it is literally the rich getting richer. <laughs> the biggest well, payroll. There's no salary cap. It's an, it's, Literally, the Dodgers would be like in baseball would be what the Roosters are if there was no cap. They'll just buy yeah, everyone. Exactly. The the Dodgers are the Roosters, but not died up to eleven, died up to twenty one. Like the 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 haves and have nots in baseball is insane. And the fact that they were able to go out and get multiple all stars at the deadline and take their payroll to up to like three hundred and twenty million US when there are other teams that are, have a fraction of that is wild. So pretty sure I don't follow baseball. The the Blue Jays. Toronto. Yeah, Toronto, how are they? They're uh, they're kind of like my Mariners. They're uh, a plucky, competitive team looking for the wild card, but not nowhere near one of the big dogs. But they do have one of the biggest uh, hitters in the game, and and Vlad Junior. Vlad Guerrero. Yeah, absolutely. Between him and Otani, they were like MVP favorites. But I think Otani win it. But they got a bit of they got they got a couple of good players. Bo Bichette, Bo Bichette, um, uh, got Springer as well. They picked up in the free in the free agency, so yeah, Toronto are a reasonable team um, in a shot for the wild card. But uh, in terms of like legit contenders this year, you've got the Dodgers, you've got the Astros, the the cheating team, you've got the uh, the Padres, the Red Sox, uh, the Rays. Um, it's hard. It starts starts getting hard when you go past that. Um, there's a lot of you know guys that are in the mix for the wild card and and could maybe go on a little bit of a run. Uh, Oakland Athletics are always a team that gets to the finals and looks like they could make some noise and then just completely bomb out. Uh, whoo, who else is at the top of their division? That's, oh, the Giants. The Giants are really good this year. So they're a shout as well, and I think that might be it. So Well, I'm going for the Blue Jays. Lock it in, Eddie. Ooh, the territorial rivals of the Seattle Mariners because they're just over the border. <laughs> um, 
the marble or the marble league. Oh, there we go. Big well. shout out, Gels Marbles. Oh, Gels Marbles. I've uh, they have been keeping Olympic up with event? that. Pardon? Should you do like an Olympic event top? Uh, oh, they've had to change it because they can't use the suffix Olympics. That's that is wild that you can't use. <laughs> Freaking. So it's changed from the Marble Olympics to the uh, Marble League, and I believe spoiler alert, um, Team Momo is currently on top after the jousting event, which is a new event. Marble jousting. jousting. Eh? There you go. Jesus, how to get onto this shit, man? It's very good. It's it's, <laughs> it's entertaining. If you put it, look. It takes a long time, but if you put it on speed like one and a half, you get through it a bit quicker. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I didn't I, even it, see that it, hurdles. It, 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 his commitment to making this like a, a, a an extremely watchable program is incredible. So the the vision for just marbles is amazing, and it, it's it's insane it, how, how much effort he goes to, and it's so good. And it's could, it's part of the reason why I love the internet that something like that exists, and it's awesome. And so you can make the argument that. Like, oh, we're in lockdown. Someone's bored off to do it. But this guy's doing this. this He's been doing Oh, Gels, this is not a lockdown thing. Yeah, this is a guy that just loves marbles. And then in his little own slice of the corner of the internet, you know, slice of YouTube was making videos. And then at some point people saw it and said, that's actually like shockingly good. And it got popular. So well done to Gel. And you know what's insane? There's a Marble League game coming out. Wow. Ah. Yeah. Well, crowdfunded and everything. There you go. Because there's been marble oh games on Steam, uh, you know, for a while. But I know a lot of streamers used to do contests and whatnot. But there you go. So get an actual marble. Yeah, league. for the Twitch giveaway, I've seen yeah. a couple people yep. do that. But, but yeah, All that's right. a, a fun way to wrap up the podcast. I think having a, a bit of a shout about international sports, Olympics, and marbles. So well done, boys. We're going to sign off here. No Hamish tonight, unfortunately. He'll be back next week. We do hope. And uh, we weren't able to get a hold of him for his predictions. So. Uh, we didn't give him any meme predictions because he deserves better than that at the moment. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week after we spank the Seagulls, surely, right? Well, yeah. get that big yeah. win, right the ship, and then get into the finals on fire. Uh, as always, thank you for stopping by and listening to us three maniacs rant about for an hour. It is a lot of fun talking footy with you boys. But, uh, yeah, next week we'll have another chance to talk footy, which is always good. See you later. Hopefully a win. That's it. We raise our voices to the sky.